Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. When I thought about this subject of in-laws, I wondered why I hadn't covered it before. I grew up in the 1970s when sexist male comedians used their mother-in-laws as joke fodder. So I grew up thinking it was always the mother who was the problem. But real life, and the letters I get, have taught me it's rarely that straightforward or obvious. If we don't choose our families, we definitely don't choose our in-laws. And the issues I hear about go from over-invested in-laws to ones that are largely absent. But one thing all the letters have in common is that the letter writer really wants their partner to do something about it, and they rarely do. I guess that's why there's a problem. My specialist today is Hannah Shabersky, who is CEO of the AFT, that's the Association for Family Therapy and Systemic Practice. Hannah has been a family and couple psychotherapist who has worked in the mental health service for 30 years. She's also an associate professor at the University of Exeter and deputy director of a clinical training department called CEDA, Clinical Education Development and Research that sits within the university's psychology department. Talking to Hannah, I realised that three words really underpin any in-law problem. And remember, it's not just mothers and fathers-in-law, but also sisters and brothers-in-law, which can cause issues. And those words are competition, loyalties and expectations. We talk about family patterns, frictions between in-laws, what might cause them and how you can try to maybe not always solve them but lessen the impact. We also discuss being a parent-in-law and how to be a good one who doesn't trigger a letter from your daughter or son-in-law to my column. Have a listen. If you'd like to listen to this podcast ad-free and before it goes on general release, please consider becoming a patron from just £3 a month or you can give a one-off donation via Acast Supporter. Both links will be in the episode description. Hello, Hannah, and welcome to this episode. We're going to be talking about in-laws, which is a subject that comes up an awful lot in my column. So I really wanted to start with, in your experience, why do you think in-laws can cause so many issues with people? Oh, thank you for having me, Annalisa. Such an interesting question. I suppose there's some ideas that we might have of archetypal ideas around in-law relationships and stereotypes. But when I think of in-law relationships as a family therapist, I suppose the first thought I have is about uh, loyalty and differences in different sets of ideas about how family relationships should be and what people think family is about. I think often we associate in-law relationships with competition perhaps, competition for time, competition over different kinds of relationships. So I think there's lots of different ideas that we might have about why those in-law relationships can be problematic. I know that certainly if you go and look on the internet at in-law relationships, what you will find is a lot of problems. So I Mm. think there's a real association, isn't there, with problematic relationships and in-laws. We don't often hear people talking about what works really well, (laughs) you know, what we're really proud of in our in-law relationships. (laughs) I think that's true of life in general. Yes. It's interesting some of the words that you mentioned there, expectations, loyalties, competition. I mean, Mm. certainly those are themes I see running through the problems I get. I wonder if we could start with loyalty because actually I think 
something that's common to pretty much every problem I've got is someone writing in complaining about their in-laws and there's a friction between them and their partner and one of the things that you and your colleagues have said to me is it's really important to have a united front I'm hesitating to say against the in-laws that's not quite what I want to say but can you talk to you a bit about that about how loyalties might be split yes I think, I mean, one of the things that's very interesting about an in-law relationship is that by its very nature, it must be a triadic relationship. And what I mean by that is there has to be three people in that relationship. So the two partners and an in-law. I mean, obviously, some people may manage an independent relationship with their in-laws and potentially manage an in-law relationship after they've split up even with their partner. But Mm. primarily, there's three people in that relationship, if that makes sense. Yeah, completely. And I suppose the other thing about that sort of triadic relationship is it's not a voluntary relationship. So we don't choose our in-laws. We choose a partner and, and with our partner, then we inherit their whole family, including their own parents, potentially, or their siblings and their children even, potentially. So there's something about how we enter into those relationships that I think can sometimes be complicated. But one of the things I often hear is people say, my husband or my wife, my partner, they feel torn. So the person writing in doesn't get on with their in-law, be it Mm -hmm. father or mother, and they feel that their partner isn't sort of standing up to them or standing up for them and... I think it's hard for the person in that middle because they're torn between a parent and a partner. So why is it important to have a united front? Yeah. Well, I don't even know if united front is even quite the right term, but I know what you mean. And in fact, I've probably said that myself. But I think what can happen is that people get split, you know, so that kind of splitting can occur between those three people. And like you said, the the partner often can feel very torn between their husband or wife and their mother or father and that can be really really complicated and really difficult and of course you know so if I'm talking for example maybe a typical scenario that we might imagine is perhaps a husband who has a a relationship with his wife and his wife has an acrimonious relationship with his own mother that's a kind of really typical scenario isn't it that we might hear about Mm -hmm. and in those situations I suppose it's really important that the husband and wife support each other and that there's kind of clarity about what's really going on in that relationship so if that mother-in-law relationship is really quite an undermining one it's really important to understand that process and understand what's going on because that can often make the partner feel really disenfranchised can cause a lot of problems it can cause a lot of problems also with children often in-law parents are also grandparents right so Mm. there's other layers of complexity that it's really important to understand but it's I think it is important for couples to feel like they've got each other's backs you know and that there's there's a supportive and collaborative relationship there so that you know one person doesn't feel constantly marginalized by by those in-law relationships but how can you do that though because you might not agree with your partner you might not agree with your mum. So there's a certain amount of appeasement. Mm. But how how can you manage that? Yeah. I mean, is it just a case of listening to the person who's complaining the most? I think it's, you know, I think often these relationships are very, very emotive. Of course they are. So there's something about recognising triggers, recognising how people's buttons get pressed. So there are going to be particular situations and particular scenarios that probably if there's a difficult relationship there, it's probably a good idea to avoid. Um, Often that can Mm -hmm. mean avoiding spending time in a particular house. It might be the in-law's house Mm -hmm. or it might be, you know, the couple's house. It it really depends. But but sort of recognising where are the triggers, you know, where is the environment that feels hostile or the environment that that really doesn't feel very neutral. So recognising those kind of external factors and then recognising what are the sort of internal factors, the internal sort of triggers within that relationship. Are there particular areas, uh, contested areas? You know, it might be about managing the grandchildren, for example, or it might be about politics or it might be about family holidays. So sort of recognising what are the areas that are really contested and difficult to discuss. And then it might be a case of really trying to 
understand what's going on and and that's sometimes where it can be helpful to bring in a therapist or at least another person somebody objective who can help unpick the complexity of those interactional processes because they are often very complicated they really are because just like we bring our own sort of past to a relationship the partner's bringing their own past and then the parents are and actually when you start thinking about it it's kind of mind-blowing it's amazing Mm -hmm. that anybody gets on at all (laughs) one of the things I've really learn is that often a new person coming into a family doesn't necessarily have to be an in-law but we are talking about in-laws here they often see family dynamics that everyone else has just got used to and and they can start calling out like you know difficult behavior or morally challenging behavior why does your mom do that or why doesn't your dad do that and the person who's the adult child can suddenly feel very defensive have you come across that Certainly. I think in family therapy terms, we use this idea, which I think is very helpful, of family scripts. And I quite often talk with families about that idea of family scripts. I think it's an idea that's very relatable and people can generally sort of understand what that means. So when we talk about family scripts, we're really talking about kind of patterns of interactional behaviour between people that are often unconscious. They might be conscious, but everybody will know what I'm talking about here if I I use the example of the scripts around how everybody behaves at Christmas for example, Mm -hmm. whether you have a religious affinity with Christmas or not, many people will have kind of traditions and and ritual that everybody engages in. And that might include having a family argument even. We have family scripts about all sorts of different things, about about gender, about occupation, about how we argue, about mealtimes. And I think you're absolutely right. When somebody new comes into a family with their own family scripts, that's when often some of those family scripts become conscious. So suddenly start people start to notice, oh, in your family, you do it like this. In my family of origin, we do it like that. And that's different. And that, that can be really challenging. I think that can be really difficult. That can often be challenging for step families as well. That's often where we see a kind of clash mm. of family scripts. But I think that's often what's underlying the difficulty is, you know, we're all influenced by our own trans generational history our family of origin history and we bring that into our relationships don't we so and often people don't realize that's what's getting played out so I think it often feels very personal so people can feel personally attacked or personally criticized or challenged without realizing actually you just have a different way of doing family and sometimes that's really helpful to have somebody coming in from the outside to challenge that isn't it to say hang on have you thought about doing it like this or this this feels undermining yeah. you know yeah I mean obviously communication is, is at the heart of everything and if everyone communicated you and I probably wouldn't have a job yeah <laughs> but <laughs> people often don't do that they're either not aware or they don't want to talk about things because they're scared to or they're worried about where that will lead to mm-hmm. when some of those family traditions might be wonderful you could marry into or join a family that's does a lot of things that you didn't or you didn't lack which brings me on to my next question about expectations which you mentioned earlier I mean what kind of expectations have you heard in all your years in the consulting room of what when people have an expectation that might not be met I think often people don't talk about their own expectations of the extended family and I think that's probably a mistake so you know when a couple often get together they're usually in love or in lust or something of that nature Mm -hmm. and what's at the forefront of of that couple's mind is their intimate sort of relationship they're just the two of them and actually of course the reality is for a successful relationship you do need to encompass the whole wider context the whole wider family and often couples don't always think about that in the first instance so I think there may be kind of quite unrealistic expectations that, oh, well, I love you, therefore I must just love your family, or you love me, so your family will naturally love me too. And sometimes that happens and sometimes it doesn't. So I think there is something to be said about reminding couples or inviting us all to reflect on the kind of expectations that we might have about wider families. And often there are kind of closenesses and distances that might be quite different. So in one family, the expectation might be we're really close. We're going to be around every Sunday. This is how we do our relationships. Uh, And for that other person, it might be that's incredibly intrusive. That's not how I do family. And now you're interfering and actually 
that might not be what was intended, but it's a sort of a different kind of expectation of how to do family. Yeah, I mean, I'm Italian, so my culture is very much that uh, I used to ring my mum and dad every day, and mm-hmm. I thought that was completely normal. Yeah. Um, and maybe that isn't in some Italian families. I'm only talk about my experience. But again, my experience of English families is that they don't. And so whilst your friends can think, oh, you know, whatever... But when I got together with my partner, I think he thought that was really strange that I spoke to my parents every day. I did it because I wanted to, Mm -hmm. but he didn't. And I thought that was equally odd. I didn't bother me because it didn't really impinge on anything. But I mean, you're talking about expectations, but really I suppose when a couple is in love, it's the last thing that they really want to talk about, which is their in-laws. And I think that's why they can sometimes be quite blindsided. Mm. I suppose if we were to talk about expectations, most of us would hope for a loving in-law family that we inherit and a family that's inclusive, but not interfering. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, that sweet spot where they kind of do things and it's all lovely, like in a kind of film. Mm. My experience through the letters I get is that it's often really different and problems that may already have been there and I think this might touch on the competitiveness element which you mentioned suddenly start being played out and one of the things seems to be where there are children where suddenly you get quite competitive grandparents Mm -hmm. either with vastly inappropriate presents usually very expensive you know stuff starts getting played out which isn't just about what's happening in front of you and it harks back to something else so if someone came to you and said my partner's mother or father are sort of lavishing our children with really expensive gifts it makes me feel really uncomfortable what might you say to them to help them resolve that Mm, yeah that really that happens a lot doesn't it and I just wanted to kind of acknowledge or kind of affirm something that you were saying before just about the sort of cultural concepts around in-law behavior which are really really important you know so we might be you and I perhaps in this conversation privileging a sort of western concepts around in-laws and particularly mother-in-laws relationships but of course you know in lots of parts of the world it would be entirely ordinary and normal for a woman when she marries her husband to move in with the mother-in-law and their family and that the mother-in-law would still have jurisdiction over the household and make decisions about that family particularly that happens in more patriarchal societies so I think you know these cultural determinants and the sort of intercultural differences between families are really important and really significant and again we we don't always necessarily notice those things until we're in a relationship where something's different exactly as you described you know we suddenly realize oh I thought this is what everybody did and then realize that some might be something quite specific to your own culture. One of the really important ideas, I would say, in managing those kinds of situations where you have grandparents behaving in particular ways that don't accord with the parents' values or, you know, it feels like they're not doing something that feels okay or balanced or equal in a way, is to have a conversation about it. And of course, that's easier said than done. But I think helping, inviting the partnership, the the parents, to really firstly just take a step back because often people feel so invested and I can just imagine the scenario you gave you know you can imagine one the 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 adult child saying but my parents are just being loving and that's how they show their love they buy all these gifts you know why are you being so critical and actually really trying to take a step back from the kind of emotion in the heat of that act but to step back and think, what are the values and what are the beliefs that we have as parents? How do we want to be parents? What do we expect from our own parents? What do we expect in their role as grandparents? What feels reasonable? Where are the compromises? What is the information we're going to share with our parents about how we'd like them to support us as parents? And, you know, we often don't think of having those kinds of conversations until we're actually in the scenario that you're describing. By which time it's tough, isn't it? Because emotions are running high. Oh, yeah, I think that's a really good tip to take emotions out of it. And also mm-hmm. wonder about motivation. I mean, mm-hmm. a grandparent that's lavishing gifts, as the example I've chosen, may be their way of trying to be, come included and may feel their only worth is yes. 
you know monetary yeah but it's really hard I mean you know how would you start to sit down with difficult in-laws I'm sure you don't have them imagine (laughs) in this sort of hypothetical situation with all your skill and knowledge yeah and you've got in-laws who are really really difficult and emotions are running high yeah and you've spoken to your partner and he or she isn't any help Mm -hmm. what would you do I mean, I think it's difficult for me to answer this question as if it were my own family, because of course, although I'm a family therapist, I'm also a family member and it's difficult to do family Mm. therapy in your own family, right? Mm. So I suppose if I was thinking about that scenario as a family therapist, I would be wanting to do a lot of validation of all the positive things that are taking place. In family therapy, we generally take a view that people are doing their best in families, that generally people mm-hmm. are are loving and want to do their best for the people they love in their families i mean that's primarily my experience of families so i think also kind of reframing some of that behavior and this is where sometimes getting a professional to support you with this because it's it is hard to do sometimes when you feel kind of emotionally aggrieved or hurt or undermined but sort of recognizing in that instance Maybe this is the way in which these grandparents believe they show love. This is the way in which they do love and support is to buy gifts, for example. So rather than being critical of that, to be validating of that. I can see how much you love us. I can see how much you want to support the children. And I wonder if there are other ways in which you might be able to support us because our children are getting too many gifts or we're worried about their bedroom being full of presents or whatever the scenario Mm. is. So I think trying to avoid that sort of criticism and hostility and being more sort of validating of the positive intention, even if you feel actually there's a power play at work here, even if you feel like, do you know, underneath, I wonder what else is going on. But to actually not get hooked into that, to be rather positively reinforcing, I suppose, what, what you hope the, the parents and laws will be doing, I think that's usually going to have a much better outcome. And of course, if it doesn't, then there might that moves us on to the next stage, you know, in terms of, well, what do you do if actually it gets more and more difficult? And that, that might be a slightly different scenario. Yeah, and I'd like to talk about that in a minute. But yes, I think looking at motivation is always really useful. Again, all these things I totally acknowledge are really hard when there is so much emotion. And again, when you bring your own family stuff, so you may be thinking, well, you know, that's a power play, but it might not be. And if only we all came with subtitles, Mm. life would be so much easier. But I sometimes think about motivation. Are they trying to help maybe in a way that isn't the way you'd help or are they actually trying to harm? Because I think we do have to acknowledge that there are people whose motivation isn't good and who don't want to and we'll talk about that in a minute about how do you know when to part company Mm. but I'd also like to talk about the opposite which is sort of in-laws who just don't seem to be interested in your life and who are very absent which for some readers can cause I don't know about just as much pain but it Mm. can cause them a lot of angst because they come from a very close family and then they inherit these in-laws which are just not interested Mm. is there any advice for them? I think that's very difficult. In some ways, it's almost more difficult in a way because there's less to work with, isn't there, in that particular scenario? I think sometimes it's a case of sort of just recognising what you've got and if you've got a lot of input just from one set of grandparents or one set of in-laws, you might have to make do with that. Sometimes it might be recognising there's a limited amount that you can do here. But I think, again, the key is really being open and honest where at all possible, because sometimes, you know, that the perception might be, oh, these in-laws don't want to be involved in our lives. They're not interested in us. But they genuinely might not also realise that they're invited in. They themselves Mm. might have a different family experience where they fear being overbearing or interfering. And so they're so fearful of that that they actually remove themselves altogether. So I think... In, in those kind of situations, sometimes there's nothing to lose by actually, and, and it sounds better, I think, when it's coming from the kind of biological uh, child, the adult child, yeah. to, you know, to be saying, look, we're really missing you and we'd love you to get involved more or we're wondering how you might want to be involved in our lives a bit more. Or And it's a risk, isn't it? It's painful to make yourself so vulnerable in that way, to reach out to, to a parent. Even as an adult, it's painful to reach out. But actually sometimes it's the best way of course you you risk then being further rejected which is tough and only individuals will know whether it's worth 
taking that risk in a way. I think that's a really honest but a very brave thing to do. But I think if you can do that, you know where you stand because then that other person either has to say, I really had no idea. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I didn't want to be too interfering or intrusive. Or they can just say, we just don't really want to be that involved because some grandparents feel they've done their child raising. But it's really hard to do that very honest conversation with someone because there's something you make yourself so vulnerable when you lay your cards on the table don't you of course you really do I think sometimes in your column you do have scenarios where you're inviting people to recognize that you know to try and look into the future and, and, and imagine themselves in the future looking back and that can sometimes be quite powerful not to be emotionally blackmailing in any way but to be reminding people this is it you know we might only have one shot at this in life so you know how would you feel looking back if you realized your grandchildren really didn't know you very well or had missed these opportunities Um, so there is something about grabbing the moment isn't there yes and, and often this thing people grandparents use the children and the thing I say to readers is a small child that's very malleable shall we say will grow up and children are quite smart yeah I remember being a child and family members trying to manipulate me and from a very young age I could absolutely tell what Mm. was going on so I often try and reassure parents and I don't know if you agree or disagree with this but depending on what it is obviously you don't put your child in danger but children make up their minds they know who their parents are if we have a situation where the in-laws are very full-on and are showering these hypothetical children with gifts and that the parents don't have a lot of money they can say I feel like I can't compete that word again yeah but actually children know who's there for them day in and day out yeah do you agree yeah with that? I, totally Annalisa totally agree I think children are very savvy and children do pick up on all sorts of those cues and children grow and develop and become young adults pretty quickly and can establish independent relationships for themselves and can recognize like you say some of those kind of dynamics for what they might be so I think it is reassuring and to remind people that actually those kind of relationships can develop independently parents don't need to feel so threatened by it that still the biggest influence for most young people for most children are their parents not their grandparents so I think that's an important idea to hold in mind yes and also try really hard not to slag off your in-laws if you have children because I think it's so important to allow family members to have their own autonomous relationships with other family members Mm. and not imbue it with, you know, your own expectations or experiences. Because what might be a really crap (laughs) in-law may actually be a really fantastic aunt or uncle or granny or granddad. And I think children can feel very conflicted. We go back to the other world of loyalty because they want to be loyal to their parents I always say to my children no matter what happens with me and that person you have your own relationship yeah and you must sort of do whatever you want equally that can sometimes mean they want to cut off from certain family members Mm. but if they want to continue a relationship with a family member that I may not be that fond of I've tried to really empower them to do that yeah that sounds Um, very wise advice I think Annalisa I think I think that's really important and and we and we get different things from different kinds of relationships too don't we so where we might have that sort of I don't know a kind of underlying competitiveness between sets of grandparents or sets of in-laws for example there are different kinds of relationships that you can have people don't have to be the same and I think that's important for children to know too that they can have a close grandparent who does one set of things but they might have a really important more distant relationship with a different grandparent that's still just as important it's just different Mm. ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I mean, we're focusing very much on the kind of mother and father-in-law, but of course there's brother and sister-in-laws too. And one of the problems I get a lot with a brother or sister-in-law, or also usually it's the mother-in-law in my experiences, who's just, who really resents the new person coming in. They have a real close bond. Or the person who's come in really doesn't understand their partner's close relationship with one of their siblings and feels that they should always come first, where sometimes the sibling relationship does. Yeah. Have you come across that? I have, and I think it it brings me back to that idea of family scripts again, about how do you do your family. There isn't one single way of doing family and that we enter into these relationships with our partners, often with wildly differing experiences of family and closeness and distances and and our relationships, those kind of expectations, as you talked about before, about our sibling relationships and what siblings mean to us. And it's sort of understandable, isn't it, that there's a kind of correlation between sibling relationships and in-law sibling relationships, you know, that those things are clearly going to be linked in some way um, and I think that's really important and we and then we're talking about we're into the realms of things like very typical scenarios with siblings like envy um, and rivalry that we may see some of that spilling out into the in-law the brother or sister-in-law relationships because why wouldn't we if we see that in the in the sibling relationship in a way and Can again you explain that, that a bit more Yeah, so where there might be rivalry between siblings, that rivalry, that it gets further complicated when there are in-law relationships with those siblings too. So that said, those relationships can be very helpful. So say you've got two brothers who are very rivalrous with each other, their Mm -hmm. respective in-law partners could be real sort of mitigating and moderating people within that relationship that could be very helpful those two partners they could be actually supportive and try and help manage those the the brothers rivalrous relationships equally just as likely I suppose actually some of the rivalry between the brothers could get played out by their partners or there's a lot here to do with loyalty so there could be really a great sense of loyalty from the partner's against the sibling the sibling might get their sort of entourage of their sort of family on their side against against their other sibling so those relationships are very very complicated or you could see things that aren't there because your pattern of a sibling is not a particularly good one so you might see things that aren't there or you have your script haven't you you think well you know I don't get on with my sibling so why would I get on with my sibling-in-law but I think there can also be a bit of envy there which is that either if the sibling-in-law gosh we need a flowchart here (laughs) isn't very happy and Mm -hmm. then they see their sibling hook up Mm-hmm. They they can try and cause problems. Yes. Ditto the in-law. Yes. I hope everyone's keeping up with this very complicated <laughs> family tree. But yeah, I mean, that is why, in the same way that I think 
new parents should really be taught in antenatal classes about bringing family patterns Mm -hmm. i think when you hook up with someone or you join a family however you join it it's really important to look at your own family pattern as well to see if what's happening in front of you is actually what you think again Mm -hmm. i go back to motivation you know is that person trying to be horrible to you or are you just picking up on that because that's what you're used to yes but i do get quite a lot whether somebody marries somebody and they realize that they've taken on the uh, i hate to say it because i'm so feminist but they also take on the mother-in-law the mother kind of just can't let go thinks that no one's good enough for her yes boy and that's very difficult. It's very difficult. And it's also really a stereotype as well, isn't it, as you're describing. And it's interesting that you talked about being a feminist, because I think we are into the realms here of discussing sort of society's view on gender. We can't really get away from gender if we're thinking about those kind of more stereotypical views of mothers-in-laws and mother-in-laws and sons, particularly, because I guess what we're talking about there is two women fighting over a man, right? So we're talking Mm. of competing with each other for who's the closest, who's the best. The stereotype tells us that they might be arguing over who cleans the house the best or cooks his meals the best. I mean, these are complete stereotypes, right? I think we need to be a little bit discerning about, in reality, stereotypes come about for a reason but I think I as a feminist too I'm quite critical of what that narrative tells us about society about how men and women should be behaving with each other because I guess it's still my view that most mothers they love their sons and want something good for their sons so if somebody loves their sons Mm. they're usually pretty pleased about it but that said of course there is something about loyalty and closeness and the kind of relationships that mothers might expect with their adult children and a woman or a mother having a different kind of relationship potentially with her grown-up son to that of her grown-up daughter. And that often might involve being less involved in the family. The, the maternal grandparent often has more kind of privileges in a way in our society or is more engaged and more involved than the paternal uh, grandparent but that's not the case in lots of other societies that might be more of a kind of western perspective so you can kind of understand how that some of those ideas have come about what's certainly unhelpful in those scenarios I think is where a husband or a man in that particular scenario and again we're talking about sort of very sort of heteronormative ideas of relationships straight couple for example is the man finding himself allying with his mother against his wife And I think that really is quite an unhelpful dynamic. So I think in those scenarios, it's really important for the the man or the husband to recognise his wife's position and, and, you know, to attempt to find ways of supporting his wife, not against his mother. And that perhaps comes back to that idea of the United Front that you talked about earlier, to be coming alongside her. So there is a sense of unity between them. So the daughter-in-law doesn't feel split off in that scenario yeah I think that's so important because even if you say gosh I know my mother can be like that but you know whatever um because whenever I have a problem like this and I do get problems like this and they're not always between a man and a woman the readers always say that the partner i.e the biological child yeah should do this it's always there's lots of shoulds mm. and I always think but if they could do that you know but it's really hard for them because really what you're looking at is a new family tree that's forming often yes. and everyone's shifting and sometimes jockeying for position and another thing I've learned as well is to look at your partner's place in the family mm-hmm. I had a letter not so long ago where it was a possibility that this woman who wrote into me that her husband was very much the man of the family because the father had died some years before and when me and the specialist looked at it we thought actually the women in his family may be really worried about what's going to happen because culturally the man in the family was very important Mm -hmm. and they were really worried about what's happened that she would take him away and actually when we looked at it a bit differently it was less about competitiveness and more about fear and vulnerability yeah but obviously it was really easy for us to look at it like that but I think it's quite important you know if your partner male or female has a place in the family if that position is threatened by your arrival then you may need to look at other people's reaction I I completely agree what you're talking about there is also power and visible and invisible layers that need to be understood 
and people's positions and again family scripts around gender and role all of those things are really important and they're often not explicitly talked about are they when you meet a new family when you meet your in-laws or you meet your new extended family for the first time you wouldn't necessarily get the lowdown on all those kind of power relationships we often make lots of assumptions without checking those things out Let's talk about when, you know, you've tried your best, but actually you're, you feel that all of your in-laws or part of your in-laws are really damaging to your relationship and you both or largely agree. I've actually had quite a lot of those lately. Mm. So they want to maybe not completely cut people out. I never think cutting family members out is as straightforward as people like to imagine. But so when do you know when to cut, press pause, however we want to describe it, distance yourself and how might you manage that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think one of the words you used is really key is sort of trying where where various different attempts have been made to try and make things better. I mean, well, the first thing to say is that there are some people, unfortunately, who've grown up really despite their own family and maybe have had relationships that not only have been unhelpful um, and difficult, but perhaps really constitute abuse and have ongoing toxic relationships with a parent or parents or extended family. And it's it's a hard it's a hard thing, isn't it, to to establish, especially something like emotional abuse. What constitutes emotional abuse? Sometimes physical or sexual abuse within relationships and families is obviously is much clearer to identify. But but where there's been lo- long-term emotional abuse that's quite hard to to recognize especially if you're in it and especially if very in a very complicated way you actually still love your parent or or a family member but actually that relationship really isn't good for you it's often the partner who might notice that you know so it might be that somebody's put up with a really difficult relationship with their parent for example for many many years and actually the partner comes along and really sees for the first time just what a damaging relationship that is and and maybe then starts to get into a position of trying to manage that situation, try to invite their partner to to put up boundaries, to protect themselves and or then to become estranged, you know, to really separate and, and cut off from that family member. It's often important, not necessarily for the parent, but I think it's often important to feel like you've exhausted a number of different avenues for the child for the adult child to feel like it's such a huge thing to turn your back on a parent if that's the relationship we're talking about here even if it's a very difficult dysfunctional relationship you know like you said actually cutting off from a parent is an incredibly painful and complicated thing it may also saying that it may also be incredibly liberating it may be an enormous relief for people And I think the key, again, (laughs) is to talk about these things, perhaps talk about them with somebody else external to the dynamic to help you sort of establish actually what's really going on here. We've been talking in recent times much more about the notion of gaslighting, for example, and uh, and or emotional blackmail. That might be the term that people are more familiar with, where you realise this particular relationship with your parent really makes you feel something unpleasant makes you feel something difficult or painful so talking through that experience with somebody else might be really helpful and then working out together as a couple what kind of boundaries you need to put in place and that might be initially putting in place boundaries around where you meet how long you meet how often you speak on the phone whether you do have high days and holidays together what kind of contact that parent might have with the children And then it may constitute ultimately cutting off altogether, obviously, or cutting off for a period of time at least. Yeah, I mean, the boundaries thing, boundaries is a bit of an overused word, but I like it. Sometimes the really practical things, I mean, you've mentioned some of them. I think sometimes when people are so immersed in the emotions, they can't see stuff. I mean, I've had people say things to me and I've thought, God, why didn't I think of that? You can't when you're in it. But things like you've said, you know, 
controlling how long you spend with them, maybe meeting on neutral ground. One of the things I say repeatedly, which is so simple, but is really effective, which is if you have a family member, I mean now even off the topic of in-laws, but generally who always rings you, you can feel really held hostage. Mm -hmm. So I say, ring them, then you get to decide when you call and you can psych yourself up. And if they ring at any other time, you don't have to pick up the phone Mm -hmm. because if you ring them, if it's a situation you really can't change, and they insist on a daily or weekly phone call. But actually, that can give you a lot of power, Mm. you controlling. If you do have to go on holiday together, maybe try and stay somewhere where you can be as separate as possible. These can make quite difficult situations that bit more bearable. Mm. I'm not talking about damaging situations now, but ones that are just annoying. But though having some control can make you feel just that bit better. You don't feel kind of just thrown to the wolves, as it were. And also, if you have a partner who still wants to see their siblings or parents and they are quite damaging to them but they've decided that they're not ready to cut off that's quite hard to support your partner Mm. isn't it my temptation would be to say but you know they do this to you why do you keep going to see them what could we give someone who's in that situation to help them not want to scream um (laughs) i think it's all right all right to want to scream firstly but Yes, it's very difficult, isn't it, to watch your partner if they're doing something that you know is is probably not good for them or is damaging or painful for them and you just have to be a a bystander in that situation. Maybe recognising it doesn't have to be like that forever is important. I think sometimes when you're in these kind of situations, it can feel like family patterns are so Mm. pronounced and so far-reaching. It can sometimes feel like, oh, this is how it's going to be forever. And that can feel pretty daunting so recognizing actually you know I'm going to make this plan I'm going to carry on seeing my parent uh, in this particular way for this period of time and see how it goes and review the situation in six months I think sometimes that can feel less daunting it can feel like actually we're not stuck and we're not trapped in this situation Mm. recognizing for the partner who's having to stand by and watch but recognizing just how powerful that sense of loyalty and actually the word that we haven't really talked about very much yet love you know recognizing that actually love yeah absolutely and just recognizing families are bound together through love and pain and history and hurt sometimes but recognizing how powerful that pull is for for your partner to to really be have compassion for that because it can feel exasperating can't it if you see somebody doing something that clearly from your perspective looks unhelpful for them and you know Mm. um, but actually having compassion for them and recognizing that the way in which they're behaving is really bound up perhaps in their love for that person their sense of dependence maybe there's an aging parent maybe they have this sense of I'm trying to make it right now because they're going to die at some point soon or they wish for it to be different they wish for a kind of repair and even though you yourself might be thinking well that's not going to ever happen actually really having a sense of kindness and compassion for your partner to at least go through the motions and it may be that something has to change again in six months or a year's time etc and also maybe having people to go to who you can talk about this kind of issue that isn't your partner and that can be tricky because for some couples they feel like all of this must be worked out within the couple dynamic but actually we're very we're too close sometimes to these issues to really be an objective person to discuss it with so it might be a a family friend for example or a professional having an opportunity to say look this is where I'm at but you know my partner's got a really different take on things and We don't seem to find any common ground here. Help us think through, you know, our different positions. I think that can be really helpful too. Yes, because a phrase I've heard quite a lot is if my partner really loved me, they'd do something about that. And I suppose what we need to think about is someone can love several people. Of course. And it's not just a case of if you love your partner, you would do exactly what they say. Mm. Because as we've discussed, it's all very, very complicated. Yeah. I have a theory Mm. which I want to put to you. Good. And my theory after 15 years of reading people's letters is that I think sometimes people complain about their in-laws because it's safer than complaining about their partners. Mm. What do you think about this? Oh, juicy. I like that theory and I I think it has great merit. I think think that would be worthy of some interesting research. Yeah, I think that can become the sort of go-to place, can't it? And in a way that fits a little bit with what I was talking about in relation to society's stereotyped views of mother-in-laws that I think sometimes 
that can be a kind of shortcut. In family therapy, sometimes we talk about how a difficulty is sometimes arises to do something useful. It's a strange idea, but mm. sometimes a symptom or a problem can be there within a relationship context because it's doing something useful. And probably all of us can relate to the notion of sort of triangulation. Like if there's three of you, for example, sometimes by having a go at the third person or scapegoating the third person, it makes the two people feel closer. Mm. So I think in a way that's a little bit like what you're talking about, that actually by having this sense of a kind of common em enemy, it can make the partnership feel closer, it can help couple feel like they're strengthening their bond by having an out person and the out person often might be an in-law because that's a kind of it's an easier person to to reject isn't it does that mm. fit with your theory Although I didn't mean I just think sometimes I've observed people complaining about their in-laws and actually what I want to say to them is but are you actually happy with the person you're with yeah it, it's almost like they're complaining about their partner's family and the way they do things mm -hmm. In the same way that children blame themselves for their parents' crapness sometimes, mm -hmm. because it's safer than looking at your parents yeah. and thinking, you know, mummy and daddy are pretty rubbish at that. I think sometimes in a relationship it's safer to blame the in-laws, mm -hmm. be their mother, father, brother or sister, than actually look at your partner, mm -hmm. who is a product of the family that... Yeah you may or may not like yeah yeah having discussed all this and listened to this if someone's just thinking I've really tried but my partner just doesn't see my point of view and it's quite maybe puts their family first before them mm -hmm. what can they do it's maybe something that they want to discuss with a professional but I think that isn't always the wrong thing to do <laughs> because families come in all different shapes and sizes and I suppose it's important to establish well what are we talked before about expectations. What are the expectations placed on this relationship? Is this an expectation? I'm in this relationship and it's love me and love my family equally. And that's what I expect from you. And I think there's something about actually really for a couple to actually sit down and have a conversation about what they need and what they expect from each other in terms of their in-laws. And sometimes, and maybe this fits with your theory that you just shared, actually there comes a point in time where Maybe you realise that you can't even be in that relationship anymore. Maybe the underlying difficulty might be that actually you're not well suited to that partner because of their mm. relationship or because of their connection with their family or because of their values and philosophies that just really don't fit easily with yours. Of course, that's an extreme position, but it's there for sure. So I think really having an opportunity to actually talk and think it through and be challenged as you were describing Annalisa so be prepared to be challenged and have somebody ask you some home truths about the quality of the actual couple relationship and what's really mm. going on between the two of you I think that's really important. Hannah we've spoken a lot about being the daughter-in-law the son-in-law the brother and sister-in-law but what about being a parent-in-law mm -hmm. I'm not one yet mm -hmm. I've no idea what I'm going to be like probably awful because I'm an Italian mama <laughs> but any tips for future me about how I should behave and what are the things I should think about okay goodness I mean it's enormous isn't it because of course we love our children more than anything and what we want for them is for them to be loved too we want somebody else to love them as much as we love them and we want other people to see them in the way that we see them right as parents but it is such a gift I think to to know that somebody else loves your child right? That's the first thing I would say is that if somebody else loves your child as an adult, as a partner, that's a gift. That's a wonderful thing. I think, I mean, some of the top tips, I suppose, are perhaps quite obvious, but something about being very supportive, being validating, not being critical, being validating of their choice of partner, being respectful of difference and respectful of distance. And that's probably that respectful of, of distance is probably one of the hardest and most important things to do, perhaps as an in-law parent. What do you mean by that? So kind of recognising that as your child's relationship is forming with a partner, that you're going to have to kind of recalibrate how you position yourself around them. So where you sat in their world is going to have to inevitably be different. Mm. And, and that might mean you stepping back to allow space for them to form their own relationships and their own lives that are mm. really independent of you. And that's perhaps the bit 
that's where the archetype about particularly a mother-in-law perhaps comes in. That's hard often for a mother to take a step back, especially if there are kind of cultural determinants that tell us that we still know best. Quite a lot of father-in-laws as well that are very, especially with their daughters, mm, very, very protective. Yes, and- yes. And, and potentially rivalrous or feeling like nobody else is good enough for your child. Mm. And I think that can be very hard. Very hard if you feel like that partner isn't good enough for your child. And actually then what you see is it isn't actually a good relationship. I think that can be very, very difficult. Yeah, I was going to ask, what about if you really, Mm. really don't think? Because I agree, I think you need to give people space to realise things for themselves. Because I know with past relationships where my father especially expressed that this person wasn't right for me, he was completely right. Mm. But in a way, the more they told me, the more defensive I got. Yes, yes. So you can support them and try not to be judgmental. But it's really hard, especially if you think somebody is potentially quite... I really don't like the word toxic. It's so overused, but I'm going to use it there. I think the word respect, you said, Mm -hmm. was really important, actually. I think if they know they can come to you. Yes. But my God, it must be really hard to see your children hook up with someone you don't like. Well, not not like, but... But that you feel concerned about. Where we see very terrible situations where a partner perhaps is in a domestically violent relationship and a parent is aware of that and doesn't know how to help their child get out of that relationship that's really about as difficult as it gets doesn't it because I think you're right that a parent really runs the risk of alienating that that child if they're too critical of that partner but equally if you really become concerned actually my child is in a violent relationship or there's a power imbalance here or abusive relationship you know as a parent that's really hard just to take a step back right and just sit and watch that unfold So I think there's a very thin line there to tread, to be proactive and try and support your child get out of that relationship, but also not present a scenario that means that your child's going to be pushed away from you. Yes, or has to prove that they're They're right, right. make their choice right, or has that really divided loyalty. Hopefully, people who listen to this will maybe think about their own place in things and if they're not yet a parent-in-law, think about the things they liked and didn't like. Of course. On a more positive note, there is a wonderful, that old adage that you hear, which sounds like a cliche, oh, I haven't lost a son or I haven't lost a daughter, I've gained a son or I've gained a daughter. And actually, Mm. I genuinely, and in, in my own lived experience, I genuinely feel that. I genuinely feel that actually having more people to love another person who's a bit like your child who's your son or daughter-in-law actually is an enriching opportunity it's a life enhancing and life enriching experience it doesn't have to be difficult no 100 yeah. percent. i mean that's the dream isn't it yeah we always hope that when our siblings bring home someone it's an addition to the family yeah. not a subtraction yes and people do sometimes say I'm really lucky with my in-laws mm. they don't tend to write to me to of say course. hey well, that's I don't it. have a problem and I, th- I just want to tell you yeah. how happy I am yes well I think it's important to say that Annalisa isn't it because in both yours and my role we inevitably just see people where there are problems right because people don't come to us to tell us about mm. the fantastic relationships they've had so of course we we do get a bit of a skewed picture of the the kind of relationships that are difficult. But actually there's lots and lots of people out there who have amazingly good positive relationships, thankfully, uh, that we don't even hear from. And hopefully we see that in our everyday life. But as we've discussed, it doesn't always happen. And for hopefully for those who don't have that scenario, we've given them something to think about. Yes, lots to think about. Hannah, thank you so much for your, your insight and expertise. It's been a total pleasure. Thank you to Hannah. Lots to think about there. I also learnt a new word, triadic, which I'm going to use at every opportunity. But it also shows us why in-law situations are so difficult because they invariably involve at least three people. That's three people's history, baggage and expectations that need to be unpacked and diffused. If you need help with this and think you could benefit from a family therapist, go to www aft.org.uk The producer is Hester Kant, the music is by Toby Dunham and our artwork is by Low Cole. If you'd like to read my column, it appears every Saturday in The Guardian Saturday magazine. Imagine 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, this is Annalisa. I started doing this podcast because it's an idea I really believe in. So much so that I decided to put my money where my mouth is and self-fund the project. I really want to keep releasing this podcast for free. So if you enjoy this episode, a way you can help is to visit our ACAST supporter page and give what you can. You'll find the link in the episode description. Thank you.